In this episode of the Jewel Show podcast, Jewel spent some time talking with Mary Ann Otley, a woman who suffered the kind of abuse most of us would consider impossible to forgive. What happened to her and how she worked through it to ultimately be able to help others who've been in her shoes is an incredible story of how God, when we surrender our will to His, can do the impossible. So, welcome, Mary Ann Otley. Thank you for coming on my uh, Zoom podcast recording here. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So behind the scenes, we were going to be outside on my back deck, but then the, mm. the temperature changed on us. Uh, dramatically. Dramatically. Yes. Yeah. So we met, oh goodness, it was a couple of months ago when the uh, Corona numbers were doing a lot better. You remember back in the day? And, uh, yes. and so we actually met face to face and I heard a little bit of your story in Athens and we have... Um, a mutual friend, April Farlow, and yes, April was telling me, has actually been telling me for a long time, you have got to talk to my friend, uh, Mary Ann. And so I, I'm, I'm grateful that I actually have seen you in person. Thank you. Thank you. It was wonderful to meet you there. And she's an absolute wonderful person. Yeah, definitely. Well, okay. So husband of 26 years. Yes. Tell me the story about how you met. Tell me all Spill all the tea for me. Is, is it okay. like a Hallmark Christmas movie or anything? It's close. Oh. It's close. Yeah, I think it's Were you it a big city girl going to the country <laughs> and he was running his dad's uh, tree farm, I think is usually the, the storyline? <laughs> no, not that close. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was really struggling coming out of a, a really difficult relationship. Um, feeling very rejected and wounded and um, started working, uh, you know, um, you know, 34, 35 ish, mid thirties and uh, haven't really dealt with my past of sexual abuse. So I was really just a wreck and I I was a wreck with a big smile, engaging smile on my face, you know? And um, when I met him, we were working together and we were both in the training industry. We had dinner after a long day of training and he asked me uh, what I thought about God. And I thought, you know, I believe there's a God, you know, we had to come from somewhere. And then he said, well, what do you think about Jesus? And I'm thinking, oh man, he was cute and everything. You know, now we have to talk about Jesus. And I said, you know, when I was a little girl, I tried Jesus and he doesn't work. And he just looked at me, didn't flinch, and said, love doesn't work for you, Marianne. Like, well, what does love have to do with Jesus? And he said, well, Marianne, you can search the whole world, and you can research every religion. You'll never find a God that left his throne, came to earth, was rejected, beaten, hated, crucified, nailed naked to a tree, just to redeem those very people to himself. He has everything to do with love. And I don't know who hurt you, but it wasn't him. He said that? And I'm like, yes. And I'm like, whoa, how does this guy know I was hurt? How did he know? It was just written all over your face? Yeah. Yeah. He said said it was a Holy Spirit moment. You know, and I said, well, um, then I had some pretty horrible things happen to me when I was young. How did that happen? And he said, Marianne, broken hurt, wounded people hurt you. Jesus didn't hurt you. And if you run from him, you're going to run from the only person that can heal you. 
And so I said, okay, I'll try them. And so I started really walking this path of understanding Jesus and falling in love with him. So now he's my husband and he's just as wonderful now as he was then. Marianne, when I made the joke like, oh, is it as good as a Hallmark Christmas movie? You should have been like, no, 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 a thousand percent better. <laughs> Thank you. I'll tell him that. She'll appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, now because 26 years later, three kids, one daughter in love is how you say it. Um, yes. And a relationship with the Lord. Amen. Amen. So you, that was- you touched on it about what it was like a little bit, um, suffering some um, abuse. Would you take us back to when you were a teenage girl? Yes. Yes, I was just a normal kid. Um, I had loved babysitting. I'm, this, I'm the oldest of six and um, loved my siblings. Um, I loved earning money and buying clothes and meeting friends and having iced tea and ice cream and and then I was abused and it was like night and day. It's like the floor came out from underneath me. It was like being in a normal life and then being in the twilight zone. And it just happens like that, you know, just in a, in a moment, everything changes. And people will say, my goodness, why can't you just get over it? You know, wh- wh- why would an instant, and for me it was instances, but why, why can something that happen for five minutes or 10 minutes or 30 minutes going to affect the rest of your life? And um, when you're a teenager and when you're young, when you're a child and you're sexually abused, there's no context for it. But what you recognize and, and everyone, you know, whenever I share my story, whether it's in a jail or a church, everyone who's been abused that I've ever talked to will agree. You recognize the evil. You recognize the darkness. It's not like somebody stole your purse and you got to get over it. It's like someone violated you on the deepest level of your being and you don't know how to get out from under it. And that evil and that darkness wasn't out there. It was within your home. Yes. Right. Yes. So I was abused by my dentist. I was abused by a neighborhood boy. I, I just felt like I had this sign on my back saying, you know, and I think I was just a really naive girl, you know, and um, I think sometimes naive kids are, are targets or I think, I think for pedophiles, I think anyone's really a tar- target, but, um, but the real, real struggle and challenge in my life was when my dad abused me and I love my dad and um, it was very incongruent for me. I was 14 when it happened. I woke up in the middle of the night and he was there. And that's when, I, that's when I felt like I was walking in the twilight zone. That's when um, my identity shifted. And I'll tell you why. And this is why I know <clears throat> that it's, it's, it's a demonic influence. Is that when my dad left the room that night, I was scared to death. And I hugged a pillow and I heard a voice say, you must really be bad for something like this to happen to you. And I thought, well, there's only one person that saw what just happened and that was God. So I must really be bad. And so my identity was set that I'm, I'm bad. 
I make bad things happen. I deserve bad things to happen to me. And so my goal in life was to make sure you didn't know that. <laughs> make sure that, you know, you would see me as someone who was good. And, um, and so instead of just living life, I was trying to prove that I was lovable. I was okay. And that beca- I became preoccupied with that in my heart. How did your family react? Did you tell somebody at the point or did you tell well, your mom? Cause you had, you were the oldest of six. Right. And they were struggling. They were going through a divorce. Um, and there was a lot of, um, challenges financially. It was just huge. My dad was a steel worker. My mom, um, was an administrator in a hospital. Uh, money was tight. Uh, it, the divorce through, you know, thrust us really into poverty. Um, my mom and our, our six, the six of us. And, um, I just didn't know how to add any more challenges to her life. So I waited. And then it got to the point where um, I used to pretend that I was having nightmares. That's how I got out of it. And um, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I finally told my mom and she believed me. She was, she was amazing. Um, And so that's when I that's, they got divorced and I stopped going, you know, to my dad's when he was with my grandmother at the time. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's never easy being the one who has to tell somebody that someone in your family is abusing you. It, it's the hardest thing in the world, especially for a kid. So much courage. I think it was fear more than courage. Thank you for the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I mean, telling you some, you know, your mom who you didn't know how she was going to respond. Oh, she's, she's amazing. And, and really, I know this sounds really crazy, but, um, uh, it, well, first of all, when you tell, you're really afraid everybody's going to get in trouble. You just, you're young. Again, you don't have no, you have no context. It's just like, this is really bad. And somebody's going to get really in trouble and it's going to be my fault. And I'm, I'm, I'm wrecking everything. And you are, <laughs> when you tell somebody mm-hmm. you are just wrecking the equilibrium, you know, you're, 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 you're sharing bad news that doesn't go away. And it's very, very uncomfortable. But I felt like a ton of bricks came off of my shoulders that day. Having your mom. I didn't have to carry that anymore. Yeah. Well, and what about your grandmother on your dad's side? I think they were all devastated. Yeah. And and at first there was denial. My dad denied it. And there was a lot of denial. And that's very common. Um, So the denial is hard to live with. Nobody wants to believe that. And um, when my dad wasn't drinking, he was the most awesome guy in the world. You know, I love my dad. And it was extremely incongruent. Mm. And I think that there are a lot of people that are caught in a cycle of addictions um, and abuse. And I think, um, I don't know if, I don't know this, I can't prove this for my dad's sake, but I think the evidence is that it is rooted in abuse. He may have been abused and it's rooted in pornography. It's rooted in drinking and drugs. And um, so I believe that some people get, some people want to be there. I think some people get stuck in a cycle of sexual addiction. And I think I was, you know, uh, an innocent bystander, you know, in that. I didn't know that then because I was too young. They didn't have the context for that. Um, and emotionally, I, you know, it, it didn't matter. It just hurt. I just hurt, right? <laughs> Well, and you said that um, you felt like you had 
you were the reason why this happened to you. You were doing something, so therefore you had to be better, do harder. Um, now, in the very beginning, you were talking about um, meeting your husband, a very unusual first date. Um, but you, you said that you told your husband, I gave Jesus a try, and it didn't work. Was this the season of your life when you started trying Jesus? Well, I think as a little girl, I was raised Catholic, and I believe I took this all very seriously. You know, at five years old, at my first communion, I really believed that I loved Jesus in my heart. Um, and then as I got older, of course, those things happened, and um, I didn't have the word in my heart. I'd had the, the stories and the understanding. We went to, I went to a Catholic school. Um, I had the Lord's Prayer hidden in my heart deep there that came up later in my story. Um, I didn't know him, but as a child, I think I knew him. And then um, as life got hard, I thought, well, it's, it's nonsense. It's not even true. And um, when I graduated from high school, I moved to Chicago. I'm, I'm, I'm from the St. Louis area. I had an aunt and uncle, my godfather, who I think wanted to give me a break and help me have a new beginning. <clears throat> and he's my dad's brother. And um, he, they invited me to live with them in Chicago. And so when I moved there, um, I was up late one night. Um, and it, back then, TV had either wrestling or Christian evangelist, remember, after midnight? Yes. <laughs> That's all you got. <laughs> so I couldn't watch wrestling anymore. <laughs> and I started watching the Christian evangelist. And, um, and this one guy just spoke to my heart. And he, he said, I, I think someone out there is experiencing a lot of pain in their chest. And I want you to know that it's not physical, it's emotional. And if you cry out to Jesus, he'll help you. And so I prayed the prayer and I went to bed and uh, that next Monday I woke up and I went to a new job and the person that trained me was a beautiful Christian woman. And that's, she really influenced me and her, her sister became my best friend, still one of my very best friends, Helen, who prayed for me through horrible seasons of drug addiction and alcoholism in my life. And um, I was about 20 and I met her and I started going to church with her. Um, but there just wasn't anybody there to help me with the abuse. Did she know about it? Did you tell her? She's probably one of the only people that I had ever told. And I, at church, I had, I had, um, confided, but you know, I'm 62. That was 40 years ago, four decades. People just didn't know, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just believe in God, trust him. Everything happens for a reason. (laughs) You're going to be okay. right? And and maybe (laughs) it's a lack of knowledge that we know now that like, Oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you moving on, not realizing the lifelong impact it can have. Sure. Yeah. How could, and how could they know? Probably a lot of them were dealing with their own abuse. You know, when you know the, now we see the numbers that mm-hmm. so many, many men and women are abused as children. So, um, yeah, so no blame. It's just, there wasn't really mm-hmm. anyone and maybe it just wasn't time. Um, I think I got to a, a point in my life where I got so low that, um, Crying out to God was the only thing that I really mm-hmm. wanted to do. I think that sometimes when you're in pain, you maybe 
maybe kind of want God to help me, you know, but uh, I'd still like to have that guy and I'd still like to have that car and I'd still like to have that purse, you know, mm-hmm. you're still looking at, like, I have a, a cousin, his name is Jim Stone. He's in radio in Indiana. Oh. And he said, everyone has this God-sized hole in their hearts yeah. and only God can fill it. And we keep trying to fill it with other things and we end up being disappointed. And then finally we say, okay, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was because you had a friend that was praying for you, bringing you to church and it was a safe place where you could really to confide in. She was, she was a, a blessing. Hmm. She was a blessing. And then, um, um, you know, then I, I, I drifted, I drifted big time. You know, After I, this friendship. Yeah. Yes. Drift, drifted from her. I, I met, you know, I, I wanted to be the people in the billboards. You know, I want to be in those parties. I want to be where people are laughing and having fun. I want to know the language of the world. You know, I, I, I had um, uh, Southern Illinois, a little Southern draw, moved to Chicago four decades ago. Um, every, you know, fast paced. I'm, I'm just this kid from Southern Illinois. Um, felt really out of place and finally didn't have any friends. People called me country. And so it was, I was lonely when I moved there and uh, a group of girls that I hadn't met yet, but just, just met from uh, one of the floors at work said they were going to go to Greektown. Hey, you want to come with us? I went with them and I'd never had Greek food, never listened to Greek music, you know, and it was awesome. And we, two cars of us went down there um, and then uh, it was time to go. So I put my money on the table, went to the ladies room, came back and they were gone. They forgot me. I was the new girl in the group. No cell phones then. And so I waited for them. It was late. I waited for them to come back. They had completely forgotten. And I thought, I can't call my uncle. You know, they've got my niece and nephew. They're sleeping. And he's got to go all the way from the north suburbs down to Freaktown to pick me up. What am I going to do? Do I have enough money for the, a cab? You know? And for all the younger audience, Uber was not a thing at this point. Uber, cell phones, no. no uh, I know, it, was, it just blew everyone's mind that's, you know, 30 and younger. Yes, this was ancient history. And, um, and so a guy is, comes up with me, he's got a broken accident, accent, very handsome. He says, are you okay? And I said, well, I'm waiting for my friends to come back and get me. And he's, okay, well, if you need help, just let me know. So I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. The place starts to close. I think, okay, I've got to call my uncle now. And the guy comes over, he said, do you need help? So I told him the stories, I'll help you. And so I think, oh, that's great. So naive. So um, he said, I don't mind. I, I, I live north, you know, and, you know, so I get mm. inside his black sports car. And he said, but I got to stop at a friend's quickly. And then I'll take you. It's okay. Mm. So we stop in front of this apartment building. And he said, um, I really shouldn't leave you here. Because it wouldn't be safe. Come with me. And so I was raped. And I, at that point in time, didn't want to have anything to do with God. It didn't want anything to do with anything. I wanted to know how the world worked. It's like, how does everybody else know? And how do I not know? You know, I, I, he mm-hmm. took me back to the parking lot of the apartment building where my friend, my new friend lived. And I didn't want him to see my car. So I went to her apartment mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, the little kiosk and found her name and buzz and said, could you let me in? <clears throat> I told her what happened. And she said, you are so naive. And I just felt like someone pummeled my heart. Yeah. It was almost and, like this happened because of you. 
it was your fault. Yes. Again. Yeah. So I said, is there any way that I can take a bath before I go home? Because I had had my aunt's new jacket that she lent me that he had ripped off, the button ripped off. I could smell his cologne on me. I said, could I just take a shower, mm, a yeah. bath? So I went and I, I just cried and went home and then vowed, I will learn how this works. I'm going to learn, you know, forget Jesus, forget God. I'm going to learn how this works. I'm going to learn the, the, the language of the world. I'm going to learn to master it. I'm going to learn how to make money. I'm going to learn how to be famous. I'm going to learn whatever it takes so that I'm on top. So that became my game plan is that, you know, I'm going to learn what this is all about. And so um, I met Mr. Wonderful and he told me it's, and I was still loved Helen. He said, it's Helen or me, you know, you, you, you got to pick because Helen's saying you shouldn't be with him. You know, this isn't right. And so Helen and I separated. I went with Mr. Wonderful and um, she prayed for me for 10 years, 10 years. She prayed for me. And we, you know, in those days, there wasn't caller ID. You know, I had no way of getting hold of her. I went my way. She went her way. And then I had remembered after I had met Tom, my husband, and I became a Christian, I had remembered that her brother-in-law had a real estate firm in Chicago. And I called and said, is there any way I could get in touch with Helen? And he said, yes. And so we connected. And I said, I'm calling you because I I have to tell you that I, I accepted Jesus Christ is my savior. And she's like, Oh my God, I've been praying for you for 10 years. (laughs) And she had no idea where you were, what you were doing, but to see the faithfulness that Helen had the ability that God in his goodness, let her see that. Yes. And now she and I pray. I mean, this has been another 10 years Add another 10 years. We've been praying for 10 years together. Uh, since then, since I called her, you know, um, yeah, Mm. be a Helen. Be a Helen. Mm-hmm. Don't stop praying mm-hmm. because I, 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 I should have died. I should have been, you know, mm-hmm. I was in between that time with mm-hmm. Mr. Wonderful. You know, we were, you know, snorting cocaine every weekend. I drank myself to sleep to stop the pain. I smoked two packs of marble lights a day. And I really, when he dumped me for a new model, um, I really hit bottom and, um, and still just continued in that lifestyle. Um, and I really believe it was her prayers that just protected me. And finally, I just felt like a pinball in a pinball machine. I was just going from bing, 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 crisis to crisis, you know, trauma, drama. And, um, and that's when I cried out to the stars, um, you know, and I, I mean, I'm screaming, what in the hell is real? What's important? What's the truth? Just what is it? Tell me, you know, can somebody tell me what's real? Can somebody tell me what is really important? And can someone tell me what's the truth? And out of my stomach, just bubbled the Lord's prayer. It's like, I couldn't even help it. And it just came out on my lips. And I'm thinking, our father. And I'm like, I don't know that I want a father who art in heaven. I'm like, is this like real? How would be thy name? I don't even know what Hollywood means. Thy kingdom come. Okay. You know, this is like Disneyland. They will be, I mean, it just kept coming up. And I, I just kept refuting every verse, but I couldn't stop saying it. I, I think I, 
began saying the Lord's Prayer 50 times a day. And, and that's when I met Tom. And then God gave him the, the thought and the idea of saying, who hurt you? Mm-hmm. And yes. who is Jesus? You know, I mean, just the idea that like he was sitting across from a table from a young woman that I'm sure he was trying to impress to get a second date from. And God just overwhelmed him with this is the questions you need to ask her. So when he asked you those questions and he said that to you, what was your response? Did you realize at that point that God was answering that prayer? I had no clue. More of the Jill Show podcast is coming up in a moment. On the latest episode of the Finding Joy podcast, we go toe-to-toe with the extreme machine, the gospel gladiator, Ebo Elder. (laughs) Wow, that escalated quickly. (laughs) Ebo is a former professional boxer, speaker, and he's just released an autobiography called The Great Comeback. Hear our conversation on the Finding Joy podcast. Find it online at thejoyfm.com or anywhere you subscribe to Find Podcasts. He was sitting across from a table from a young woman that I'm sure he was trying to impress to get a second date from. And God just overwhelmed him with, this is the questions you need to ask her. So when he asked you those questions and he said that to you, what was your response? Did you realize at that point that God was answering that prayer? I had no clue. I literally had no clue. I did not make the connection. And, it, and he's just, God's just so faithful that way. I mean, that's just the very beginning of my story, you know? I mean, that's just the tiniest beginning, which was the most remarkable. I mean, meeting my husband was the best thing that has ever happened to me. I, I, I've, I've really been sometimes obstinate with God, and he's just so faithful. But I do think he saw the cry of my heart, what's real, what's important, what's the truth. I don't believe it's you right now, but I really would like to know what's real, what's important, what's the truth. And um, at the end of the book that I'm writing, I, I share that, but I... Can I tell you a story between that, a couple stories between that? I have to remember to. Um, So Tom and I are married. We have our first son. He's two and a half. I'm pregnant with our second son. And I'm washing the dishes. I haven't started praying out loud yet, (laughs) but I'm pretty upset. I'm going to church just worshiping my heart out to Jesus. But by Wednesday, I'm thinking, is this real? And then I'm worshiping my heart, just worshiping him on Sunday, Wednesday. Is this about money? I just couldn't just let go and love him. Like, you've got all of me. And so um, I'm just, this happened for like two and a half years. And finally, I'm doing the dishes and scrubbing the heck out of these dishes saying, okay, I've had enough. I'm so sick of being double-minded. I want one or the other. So I personally think that you've, you've got this wrong. Because everyone tells me I just need to trust you and that everything will be okay. But I trusted the dentist. I trusted the neighborhood boy. I trusted dad. I trusted that guy in Greektown. You know, I trusted the boyfriend. And every time I trusted, I got hurt. So why do I have to make the first move? It's really not fair. You didn't set this up right. So if you tell me that Jesus is God, then I'll believe you. And so my little boy finishes snap, comes up, pulls on my jean like, mommy, 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 Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And I'm like, Whoa. What? So I get down on my knees and say, Tommy, what? Jesus is God. Jesus 
what happened? He said, mommy, mommy, we were swinging. We were swinging and the swings went all the way up to the sky. And there were angels all around us. And the Holy Spirit pushed us. He was two and a half. He was articulating. Wow. Yeah, it was a miracle. I said, what did he look like? And he said, oh, he's a light, mommy. He's a light. At two. I said, what did he say? She said, oh, no, he said nothing. We just laughed. And he said, but I didn't want him to go. And I thought, this kid who won't even stay with one babysitter doesn't want Jesus to go. Like, I've got to meet this person. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, what happened, honey? And he said, I woke up. And so I knew. <laughs> okay. You're God. And I have never not believed that since. Um, and, but I said, I've got to know you because I don't know a God that swings with children. I don't know a God that makes people laugh. I don't know a God that made my son who doesn't like to stay with any other babysitter safe. I want to know you. I want to know you. And so I just kept asking him, will you come see me? Will you visit me like you visited him? If you could visit him, you could visit me. And every night, would you come see me? Would you please? Would you visit me? Please, I'm asking you, please, Jesus, come see me like you visited my son. And then one night, in a dream, I was in a Bible study, and all of us were facing the front of the room, and someone walked in the back. And all the women stood up, turned around, and they felt flat on their faces in adoration. And so I stand up and I look around and it's him. And he's standing in the back of the room. Isn't he amazing? Just like I looked at him and thought, Tommy's right. He's a light. He's just a beautiful man, God, who's light. <laughs> and I said this little Catholic prayer that we say before, what Catholics say before they have confession, it just came out of my heart out of nowhere, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you. But if you say the word, I'll be healed. And he said, be humble. And then I woke up. And so I went to the, my, hopped out of bed. And I thought, oh my goodness, he came to me. Be humble. What does that even mean? So I took out my dictionary. I looked up humble and I thought, oh no, I can't do that. And so I went downstairs and I got my husband's concordance, which I still have now. And I looked it up and I thought, I said, could you give me another assignment? I just don't think I can do this. So I hid it in my heart that he said, be humble. And um, uh, several years later, I was, had our third, third daughter, third child, our, our daughter. I was um, just very dry in my spirit. And I said, um, I really need you. And boy, he was right there. And he said, let me in. That's when I realized that um, there were certain parts of my heart that I had restricted anyone to enter. And I just felt that they were, it was too grimy and uh, too dirty. And, um, and I, I hadn't felt those feelings in a long time, but that shame and the dirt and the guilt and just the yuckiness of being abused came up. And um, I told him, I can't let you in there because People get hurt in there. And if you go in there, mm. I don't think you'll come out the same. <laughs> yeah. And he said, no, I know it's in there. And it's the only way. And I told him, 
I don't know how to let you in there. I don't, I don't know how to get in there, you know? And, and so he left, he was gone. And I thought, wow, that was beautiful. And I laid down close to my eyes and I saw that place. And it was a place of my heart that was just like a dungeon. Um, there were no doors and it was dark. It was foreboding. It was like where all the guilt and the shame, the disappointment, the discouragement, the frustration, the fear, the anguish, the angst, all the garbage was stored in this cell. Mm. And I thought, oh my God, you know, now I'm in here. How do I get out? <laughs> right. And I looked around, there were no doors, and, um, but it was dark. And I saw this window at the top of the cell, and I followed the light down to the floor, and there was Jesus on his hands and knees with a brush and a bucket, dressed in this beautiful white robe, just cleaning all those places. And everywhere he cleaned, there was light. And it was just this brilliant light. And I just felt so much light inside. And I looked at him at the, the darkest, dirtiest part of me. He was on his hands and knees cleaning. And I just fell in love with him. And I thought, oh my goodness, I want to be humble. <laughs> if that's what humility is, I want it. I want to be like you. And so um, I, 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 there was a, there was a, a, a difference since that day it was like a he set my compass to um really be just interested in prayer let's go deep in prayer seek him find him abide in in, in prayer and that was a an amazing blessing because um in prayer we met a woman her name was elsie and in my book she's a great figure she leads me in prayer and in that prayer time I experienced Jesus healing me from the abuse. And, um, and that's probably the most magnificent part of the story. Um, but you had to let Jesus life. in. Yeah. Into a scary he, part. Yes. It's the only way. Yeah. It's the, it's, he's the only way. There's, we can cope. You know, we can find ways to cope and get through the day. Mm. But if we want to be healed, he's the way. He's the only way to give us the joy um, clean those hurts. Um, he brings us back to being a child. Hmm. He, li he, he treats us like children in the most beautiful sense of the word, where he honors us, he adores us, cherishes us. He, he sees past all the grime, all the sin, all the woundedness, and he sees us. Hmm. And and when he looks at us and touches us, we know that we're his favorite, right? <laughs> Where we, he, he would do anything to bring us to him. And that's, that's what happened that night, is that I did feel found by him. Even though I knew him and experienced things and was in church and prayer and the Bible, and you know, um, I, I, fe I felt like the lost lamb that he found. I felt like the woman at the well, mm. that I know all about you. And I adore you, you know. Hmm. And you actually, God led you to forgive your dad. Yes. Yes. I mean, so, I think for a lot of us, that's, that's the unthinkable. I mean, how do you even 
where do you start? It really is. Um, the, the name of my book that I'm writing is called Love Triumphs because it is God's love that triumphs over adversity, over abuse, trauma. And so um, we met a woman named Elsie. Elsie, she's deceased now, but she was an elderly woman, missionary from the bush, <clears throat> um, widow, and uh, she had rheumatoid arthritis. It's like our fingers go straight, Elsie's fingers went this way. She couldn't even button up her clothes. But she was a powerhouse of a woman. She was the most amazing, um, significant person in my life when it came to being able to forgive my dad. So we were at a conference, Tom and I, uh, based on a book called Ancient Paths, where uh, the book really talks about how um, when we miss, when parents miss that opportunity to bless their children's identity by letting them know that they're loved, accepted, beautiful, prized the way they are, right? Um, we, we often believe that we're the opposite of all those things. And so this seminar was teaching that if our fathers hasn't, haven't blessed us, that, that we have a father that is blessing us and that we need to go to him. And then we broke out into prayer rooms. And I go in the prayer room with my husband and Elsie's our prayer leader. And I'm just crying because I'm thinking, dad, you missed it. You know, I know my dad would have wanted things to be well. I know he was trapped in a cycle of addiction because I, my dad, again, I, like I said, my, my dad was beautiful when he wasn't drinking. And um, so I was really grieving. And there was about 12 of us and Elsie sat in front of me and she said, I believe the Holy Spirit is highlighting something for you. Um, would it be okay if we prayed? I said, okay. And she said, what do you feel? I don't know why I'm feeling this, but I feel like I'm 14 and I'm in trouble right now. <laughs> and she said, okay, what else are you feeling? I said, I'm scared. I feel like, um, and I feel really alone. And I think I'm in trouble. And I think my dad's in trouble. And I, all these emotions are just coming out of nowhere to me. And she said, okay, anything else? I'm really scared. I'm just really scared right now. And I don't know what to do and I don't know where to go. She said, okay, um, that's not a problem. That's not a problem at all. We're all here with you and we're not going anywhere. Um, so let's take this to Jesus. I said, okay. And she said, Jesus. And she just told Jesus exactly what I told her. She didn't diagnose me. She didn't prescribe anything. She just said, Lord, she's scared. She thinks she's in trouble. She thinks that... Um, you know, she's, she's done something wrong. She's afraid. She's told her, told him exactly what I told her. And I had never felt so validated in my life. I'd never felt like how someone gets me, someone heard me. So, um, so then she said, Lord, where's this coming from? And boom, I was back in the room. Mm. And um, where my dad came in that first night. And I'm like, I cannot go here. I won't go here. I can't go here. I've been to counseling. They always want to go back here. It makes it worse. I'm not doing it. And she took my hands with her soft curled hands. And she said, honey, let's let Jesus do the work this time. And that was intriguing. And I said, okay. And so she 
said, um, close your eyes, let's go back in prayer. And boom, I was in the room again. And she said, Jesus, what do you want Marianne to know about what's happening? And I thought, well, isn't it pretty obvious, <laughs> you know? But I just sat there and said, what do you want me to know about what's happening? You know, I, did, wasn't, I was indignant. I wasn't even respectful. And boom, Jesus was in the room. So again, I'm back into that bedroom when I was 14 years old. And Jesus is in the room. And he's glorious. And the room is flooded with light. And I feel completely safe. And then she said, Lord, what else do you want Marianne to know? And boom, a nine-foot wasp-like, roach-like demon is towering over my dad and me. And I'm like, oh, my God, there is a demon. He looks like a wasp, like a roach, and he's towering over us. And I recognize the evil, the, the wickedness, the darkness. It was like I was there again. There's just there's a darkness around abuse. It, it's so wicked and evil. It's toxic. And, and to see where it came from, to see where, where, how, where my dad was influenced from, it was, it was scary, but it was remarkable. And, um, you know, I'm 50, right, at this time. And it was just like, and I was scared of him. And she said, Lord, what do you want to do with that waspy-like, roachy-like demon? And I'm thinking, that demon is going to crush him. Jesus took a pushpin he poked him in the middle of his being and he pinned him to the wall. And he looked at me and said, he will never torment you again. And he hasn't. I've never felt the fear that I used to go to bed feeling every night uh, because since I was abused. And, um, Did and you, then... And you actually went to your dad and said, I'll forgive you. Yeah, years later. Once I saw well, what the next part of the story is that... Elsie said, who is Marianne's dad to you? And I thought, he's going to say, vengeance is mine. I will repay. You don't have to yeah. worry about it. But he didn't. He said, he's my son. And mm. that blew my mind. And I looked at the love that Jesus had for my dad. And I thought, oh, my God, there's hope. There is hope for him. Because I... Once the demon was pinned to the wall, I saw my dad in a different light. I saw him as a broken man. I saw him as a, a, a like a lost person. Mm. And I didn't see dad. I saw this lost person. And then I saw the hope, you know, right in the same room, just this amazing love. And I thought, oh, my God, he's going to be okay. I don't know how this is going to happen. But, you know, Jesus is pretty definitive, right? And so then she said to Jesus, who's Marianne to you? And I thought, I know, I know who I am to you because I heard it that night. You said I was bad. So I told Elsie, I can't ask him because I didn't want to hear it again. She said, please ask him. And I'm like, okay, who am I to you? And my eyes are clenched, my fists are clenched, and I'm ready for him to say, girlfriend, if you would just straighten up, mm. if you would just do the right thing, I can squeak you in. Just give mm. me a chance. And I'm like, wow. And he just stands in front of me with this beautiful white robe. And he puts the right white robe on me like he would a little girl. Then he put this crown on my head and a ring on my finger, sandals on my feet, 
And I just stood up so tall. He said, who are you? You're my princess. And I just fell into my husband that, that felt like Jesus. And I just stopped and just, he just, all his, his love just washed so much shame and guilt that had been hidden uh, in the deep crevices of my heart. Um, and that from that point on, I knew I have to let women know about him. Women have to know about Jesus. And from that base, I was able to love my dad in, in, in a new way. And I was able to, when my dad got really sick, um, it's a beautiful story. I was able to um, reconcile. Um, um, I was able to pray with him the way Elsie prayed with me. He was able to experience God's love. He heard that God tell him he was forgiven when he told God how sorry he was for the people that he hurt. And, um, and then my dad blessed me. He blessed me. And he blessed my siblings. And, um, and so I want to give hope for people who are caught in a cycle of abuse, that he's there for them too. Um, a lot of times when I share my story, people will come up to me and say, I was abused when I was eight years old. And then I abused my cousin and I've been so ashamed of that. And I felt like that was the unpardonable sin, but I have freedom now because you're saying, God, for, God forgave your dad. He can forgive me. You know, I, I didn't know better. And just stories. When I share my story, people will come up and say, um, wow, I, he really is a forgiving God. <laughs> so I just feel compelled to share it, to give people hope that are, you know, hurt in the trauma of abuse or, or maybe caught in a cycle of abuse and wanting to get out of it. Um, some people will just be evil, but some people I do believe are caught in a cycle that I pray they reach for him and help him. Mm, Marianne. I just love how God is so good because he, I mean, him even speaking to you in dreams and very vividly, and using um, what's going to get to your heart. I mean, and, and relating to you and speaking in such a way that you can grab hold of um, the abundance of God's love for you. Yeah, I, I think that the, the depth of the pain that we experience, I think, can be a measurement of the height of the love we can experience from yeah. him. Yeah. You know, he, is, he really does redeem, and we really need him to do it. And I think the most important thing to do is to keep asking him, hmm. will you reveal yourself to me? Would you help me? We can't love without him. We can't love the way he loves without him. Yeah. And just keep saying, I want to know you more. I want to experience your love. Um, it's totally other than. It's, it's not of this world. And so um, I, I do believe anybody that's listening, um, he's calling you. Hmm. He, he is knocking on your door and he wants to make the wrong things right and the crooked places straight every time <laughs> because there will always be wrong things here. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. not a one and done, right? Right. And there's so many opportunities that God has given you um, because of your willingness to share your story where God brings women in or men that need to hear that there is, there is redemption. There is, this isn't the, where you have to stay in. That you can go to bed without fear. Yes, yes. The cross is the greatest gift to humanity. There's no other gift greater than the cross. 
Um, I told Elsie one time, um, mm. Elsie, um, sometimes I just don't think it's right that a pedophile would be forgiven. It just, you know, I just don't think, you know, these are kids. Mm -hmm. And look at me. I was marked for years, decades. And she said, well, what, what, what price do you think would be the right price? Would you think it would be okay if, if, if pedophiles were beaten publicly? Um, what about stripped naked? I said, I think it would be fair. I, when you think of the humiliation a child goes through when they experience sexual abuse, I think that would be fair. She said, I do too. Is really? And she said, yeah, and so does Jesus. That's why he allowed himself to be stripped naked, beaten, nailed to a cross, humiliated, naked, so people like your dad could be forgiven. And I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. And I will always cherish the cross. And when we go to the cross, he's dealing with our, the demons. We get him. We get him. We get, I mean, sometimes when I'm having a hard time, I just hang on to the cross like this. And he's fighting the battle for us. He, he, do, he does the work and he gives us the joy. His love triumphs over all hardships. Uh, Marianne, I, I just know that someone's listening is going to want to talk to you. And uh, would, you, would you be okay if I put contact information on my uh, show notes, maybe social media yeah. or websites or anything like that, they can reach out to you? Absolutely. Um, as a companion to my book, I am, uh, just created a website called, uh, or my website is lovetriumphs.com. My Facebook page is Love Triumphs. And absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I'm excited about mm. your redemption. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about the person, you know, who's listening that, um, you're going to see a God that's fighting for you, that loves you, and is going to carry you through this and bring you to a new place. And be a Helen. Be a Helen. Be a Helen. <laughs> you know what? When you were telling me and saying that, I instantly thought about the people that I know I should be praying for and I need to be renewed. And so that's, I'm going to take that away from me. Those two words, be a Helen. Um, don't give up. Keep praying. Um, yes. And I'm going to go back to my, my journal and, and go back to the people that I've been praying for for over a decade and not give up. Be a Helen. The faith that we have in his ability mm. to reach a heart is very important. If I can have faith that, like one time I was really struggling and God just said, believe that I love you and believe that I love the person you're struggling with. Just believe I love them. And that was enough. That's all I had to do in my prayer time was just believe, take him at his word that I do love you and I do love them and I can work this out. But I think we try to work things out too much, or at least I did in my own strength. And I think he's, he's willing to take a lot of the load on himself and, and, and make, make things right for us. Mm, Mary Ann, I just, I love this time with you. And uh, you. can I just have full disclosure as well? something I've been thinking about while we were talking and like enjoying like our conversation. You have really good hair. Like I need to know <gasps> who does your hair. I honestly, I was like, Oh girl. Yes. I like it. <laughs> uh, I got my hair done by Emily Cassandra. She's incoming. Okay. She's amazing. Okay. Yes, it, you have really good hair. I just, just needed to let you. And then I'm looking at my hair and I'm like, 
Hmm, I need to go to Mary. What's going on here? Like, <laughs> you, also, you are beautiful. No. <laughs> you are so beautiful. You have an engaging smile. Your hair looks great. No, no, no your, hair, your hair look good. Your hair look real good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't wait to hear uh, to get your book. And when do you think it's going to be coming out? It'll be in 2021. Right now, it's it's being edited. Um, I'm hoping that February, um, but I don't have an exact date yet. Soon. Yeah. And this all came out of during quarantine, right? Yes. Yes. Everything. Um, well, my, um, the Bible study that I've started, that's really growing that I would probably invite uh, women to, if they reached out to me, started in quarantine. I started writing the book when Elsie died. Um, I went to visit her uh, in St. Louis and she said, you need to write your story. And so she died and I, uh, we had moved to Georgia and I, I flew back and started writing. It took me about three years. Um, just to go back to the deep places. I really wanted, I don't want people to know pornographic details about childhood sexual abuse. You can, you know, people can use their imagination for that. That's not necessary. I want people to know what it feels like. And, I, and people who've been abused that might be having a hard time articulating what they felt like. It, getting our emotions on the table is really important to our healing. And so that's the purpose of the book is to really, this is what it was like. And then this is what God did. Hmm. And I love the image of, uh, of Jesus scrubbing every inch of the darkest places, our hearts that we don't even want him to go to. He's willing to go there and then scrub it. Amen. Beautiful. Well, Marianne, thanks for, um, hopping on zoom with me and chit chatting and being just so willing to be vulnerable and to share things that I'm sure even, um, all these years later can still be a challenge. It can be. Um, and it's just, God is just, it's just too important of a story, I think, for people who have, there's so many women who have not even told anyone they've been abused. So that, that's what really motivates me, is that someone will get some hope, someone will get courage, and someone will, will, will find him and, 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 and experience him in their own unique way. Hey, thanks for being with us for this Jewel Show podcast. You can learn more information about Marianne Otley and her story by visiting her website at lovetriumphs.com. That's L-O-V-E-T-R-I-U-M-P-H-S.com. And you can access a full library of the Jewel Show podcast at thejoyfm.com slash jewels. And you can find the Jewel Show wherever fine podcasts are hosted.